Welcome back to Learning the Last Dance. This is episode eight, Ricky. I'm going to miss doing this. We only have this episode. And then, of course, nine and ten left. We're almost through this. But how are you feeling? I'm feeling sad as well. Like I said, it seems every time I look at our notes from the one app, like just one episode, it's like, how do they fit that all into one? They're not even in our episodes. But then nope. there's still so much that I want them to talk about that they've kind of glossed over. I, I, I would be happy if they went game by game through the highlights, good games and bad games for Jordan. But uh, they, they, they've crammed a lot in here, and uh, it's great to see. My hope is this. My hope is that this, the success of this, and I understand that this took place during this whole COVID crisis around the globe. So a lot of us had time to watch this, and this was actually pushed up from a June 1st-ish launch. It was supposed to launch during the NBA Finals and obviously didn't because we don't know when that's going to be. So they pushed it up. But my hope is that this, that this serves as the precedent for more sports documentaries like this, that every year we can look forward to more and more sports storytelling. Because at the end of the day, Ricky, this, this is what we want in life as a whole. We want stories. Give us the stories. And if you can give us the raw stories, the realness, things I can relate to, like Jordan crying over his father, then I'll, then I'll watch. I'll watch this. Absolutely. And I think there, the ability to have these – multi-part longer documentary series are just going to grow exponentially because sports have come into such a bigger part of society since you know the mid 80s so that nostalgia is really starting to come in into the you know the 80s 90s even into the 2000 sports now and we're going to have so much access to footage that you didn't have like you're trying to do a documentary on babe ruth good luck like you how much there's like no footage you're using black and white pictures whereas a guy like jordan or i'm sure there's going to be one on you know kobe or tiger woods or whoever they're going to have literally footage from every day of their life once they became in the public eye it i actually heard that kobe bryant had a maybe you told me this had a film crew following him around for his last season as in the NBA. So we'll see what that comes out of that. But okay, let's get into today's show. We're going to focus on the following things. The 98 playoffs round two. There's the BJ Armstrong game. And then, of course, most of this podcast will be filled with Jordan's journey into baseball, which I thought was eye-opening. I thought it was interesting. It's just weird to see a six-foot – how old is he? How tall is he? Six-foot-six? Six? Yeah, six-six. Six-foot-six baseball player who was actually doing pretty good. And then we'll end off, of course – with uh, Gary Payton and the Supersonics transitioning into episode nine with the Pacers versus the Bulls. Reggie Miller is going to be all over that one. And I cannot wait to get your feedback on that. Okay. So 98 plus, I need to start here. This is round two. The Bulls are playing the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets logo is one of the all time best in my opinion. Oh my God. It is the The best. The colors, the teal, the purple, the fact that they're the Hornets. I just miss it. I miss that kind of, classic sports logo where it's now everyone plays it safe. The Hornets were anything but safe. They were like the coolest team right around that mid nineties time. They had Alonzo morning. They had Muggsy Bogues and they had, that's who I remember. And, Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson, the best, the best, one of my favorite, favorite, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, favorite posters from the nineties was Larry Johnson. Just, jacked up and said now starting at linebacker for the charlotte hornets larry johnson 
did you ever have one of those starter jackets? Did you have any memorabilia, I should ask, of the Charlotte Hornets? I did not. I would have loved to have one of those sweet, sweet 90s starter jackets. The closest I ever had was I got some Michigan Wolverine shorts. And that was the coolest. Like, I think I was about 96. I got, like, a good, like, real pair of, oh, those are the best. Of course, I lost them somewhere, but that was right after you know, the Fab Five and all the, the good Michigan. And then Michigan, Michigan's been my team forever, which is my how I came in to love uh, Tom Brady. And then that led to my, my Patriots love, which has done well for me the last 20 years. <laughs> but yeah, uh, NFL's been easy for you. Oh, man. But yeah, those starter jackets. And there's some of those, like, windbreakers that they might be coming up later but yeah there's yeah the saskatchewan rough riders had them yes. this year old school starter jackets that retailed for like 250 dollars. i thought man i love nostalgia but it has a price and i'm not willing to go there some of those not for 250 bucks those old windbreakers maybe i think mine was probably from like the sand store but it just felt like you wore you're just wearing a tarp because you were, you were. I, I remember in grade two, I, we're off track, but I had a black, purple, and teal windbreaker tracksuit that my mom got on layaway from. I'm sure it was Kmart, and I was so pumped to finally have one that I asked for permission from my t- grade two teacher. Can I wear this? And I wore it without a shirt underneath it, <laughs> and I just felt so cool, which I'm sure is what Mike and his Zubaz pants that we'll get into for fashion was, but. Yeah, I remember. Okay. I remember trying to like always wanting one, and then I got a hand me down from my uncle. But I don't think it was from my uncle. I think it was from my aunt. <laughs> it was. It was definitely on the uh, the feminine side, and I tried to tell my mom that, but she wouldn't believe me and made me wear it to school where I was severely harassed. <laughs> Moms are the best. Speaking of the best, B.J. Armstrong is on the Hornets. So this episode starts off with. B.J. Armstrong, former Chicago Bulls, claims to know how to beat the Bulls right. because now he's on the, on the Hornets. And I love the fact that he says, yeah, I know how to beat them, yet they lost the first game. I'm like, well, B.J., if you know how to beat them, you shouldn't lose any games. But this whole section kind of revolves around this B.J. Armstrong game where B.J. Armstrong claims, I know how to beat these guys. Give me the ball. I'm going to expose them. And then goes off and has the game of his life. Yeah, but he didn't. <laughs> he hit the he hit the uh, the gla- the game clinching shot. So we have to give him credit for that. But by the way, the highlights I think they showed every single basket he made in that game during the highlight clips. It makes it seem like he went off and single handedly beat the Chicago Bulls when in fact absolutely that's what it seemed like. when in fact of course I did some research we do research on this podcast we don't just well you do research <laughs> BJ Armstrong zero rebounds two assists 10 points come on 10, 10 points? points three bo- three <laughs> points more than Donald Royal who I'm sure you don't know <laughs> but like it's just I have no no idea Five points less than Steph Curry's dad, Dale Curry. This is crazy talk. He got 10 points. Ricky, I left this documentary going, BJ Armstrong, I even wrote it down here that we all have a moment in our lives. You can talk to any person, male, female, young, old. We all have a moment. We look back and we're like, you know what? That moment I was invincible. I could do all things well and I wasn't going to lose. For me, 
it was baseball. My last year in Saskatoon, I was 11 years old. Our team couldn't lose. We couldn't lose. In fact, there was a play I remember, Ricky. I was a pitcher. I threw the pitch. The guy hit it up. I didn't look anywhere else. I just stared at the back catcher. And then I had to start my mind that said, you know what? I should make an effort for this ball or my coach is going to be upset at me. I stick my hand up in the air, still looking at the back catcher. Boom, ball <laughs> fall, fall, falls right in it. I'm like, this was my year. And I thought that was B.J. Armstrong. But now you're telling me it's anything. Yeah, but. 10 points. And, and, and you look at – we'll get into some of this more uh, in the next couple series with, with uh, the Pacers and the Jazz in the final. But this was some of the lowest scoring, lowest shooting percentage – basketball in the history of the NBA. And this was really like, there was some thought that the NBA was going to be in trouble because it wasn't that entertaining. You had a guy like Jordan who was doing all these amazing things that he did, but like both teams shot under 40% in this game, which is terrible. <laughs> You've got Hornets here at 40% bullet 36.5. <laughs> it's like, I know how to make, I know how to beat them, BJ. Yeah. You just, you just make them miss two-thirds of their shots. Yeah. So they this was a defensive, ugly, performing. This is not a good basketball game. We call it a rock fight. Because you're throwing rocks that don't go in. You're throwing rocks that go in. Or or the classic is you trying to build a house with all those bricks. Some, some classic schoolyard trash talk. I love that you did research for this because now you've ruined everything. And I'm sure if you're listening to this and all you did was watch The Last Dance Episode 8, you're like, what? How dare they lie to me? But apparently there was a few lies. I heard in Episode 7, the previous one to this, uh, or maybe, no, it was previous previous one to this. No, it's this one. Never mind, we'll get into it. Okay. No, it was previous one to this. Either way, there was the year where Jordan comes back and they lose halfway through. Mm -hmm. Is that this year? Is that this episode? Uh, yes, it is. Okay, I'll, we'll wait for it. Anyway, after this game, 98 playoffs round two, BJ Armstrong wins. There apparently is this quote where someone named LeBradford Smith says to Michael Jordan, nice game, Mike. And, of course, they lost it. And Michael Jordan, which we're learning this is what he does, goes postal, Ricky. Yeah. So LeBradford Smith goes off. I think it was 37 points. And lo and behold, it's a back-to-back like yeah, series with these guys. So they're flying overnight. I think it was Cleveland. Goes to play them the next day. And Jordan says that this little Bradford Smith kid, like basically sarcastically told them, hey, na- nice game, Mike, after the first game. And Jordan says, I'm going to get as many points as he got in that game. I want to get that in the first half. And of course, he... He goes for 36 in the first half. In the first half. And makes it seem like this kid is not, you know, didn't show him any respect or anything like that. And years later, it comes out, yeah, I just made that all up. <laughs> like, Jordan is like just looking for a reason to, you know, have this spite against people to get that inner drive. And we talked about it last episode where. He feels when you're at the top, you need to find these reasons to feel slighted that you keep working harder than everyone who's trying to catch you. And for Jordan, just be say, yeah, you know, that kid told me, you know, nice game, Mike. So I got to take it to him this game. And he does. And, but poor little Bradford Smith, just, you know, nobody's ever heard of him since. <laughs> you say a guy that no one knows about 
and I've got a sociopath in the name of Michael Jordan. Like, LeBradford Smith very well could have said, hey, nice game, Mike. Like, of course, Mike has nice games all the time and meant it meaningfully and said, hey, Mike, nice game. Not your best, but still good game. And Mike goes, wait a minute. What did you say yeah. to me? You're dead. You're dead me to me. And in this case, we find out he didn't. He never said anything. I've got a, I've got a psycho world-class basketball player in Michael Jordan who makes things up and lives in an alternate universe to find the drive to embarrass and humiliate people and raise his own game so that he wins. It terrifies me. This kind of guy would absolutely terrify me on the court because I don't know what's coming. I don't even know what he's thinking out there, Ricky. Well, I would say it's kind of like Tony on Survivor if you happen to be watching that, which ended just this past uh, this past week as well because same thing, like his whole game was waiting for people to talk about him, maybe trying to get him out, and then flipping everyone to get that person out. And that was Jordan. He just kind of waited until someone really upset him, and then he was, bang, full guns blazing, taking you out of the playoffs. They went on to beat the Charlotte Hornets four games to one, and they move on to the Pacers. But then they he's just finding reasons to get upset and – as soon as you know, if someone gives him that bad taste in his mouth, he's going to let you know about it, and you're not going to forget that uh, you made that mistake of, of upsetting Michael Jordan. There was a shot in this early portion where Michael is in the room with a huge stogie in the warm up room. He hits the guard through this entire thing, and I just think that was a simpler time, and that was only 20, 30 years ago, back when Michael Jordan could have a massive cigar in the warm up room after a game to celebrate not, not anymore. anymore you don't get that now no, you'd have the mothers of america writing letters emails tweeting what kind of role model smokes cigars a role model that doesn't vote apparently michael jordan <laughs> hey, oh. I, I did want to point out though jordan said something that i really enjoyed and it was about trash talking about if you're gonna trash talk with me like go at me but don't trash talk just when you're up. Don't trash talk about like to me when you're winning the game. That doesn't really mean anything. Trash talk to me when it's zero zero, and I love that because it actually speaks to me, Ricky. Where I want to trash talk when it's zero zero, but there's so much risk and courage involved in that that I wait till I'm up. It was funny. This is a terrible example, but I was playing video games with my brothers the other day and reconnecting. And we had just won. It, it's Call of Duty. It's a first-person shooter warfare sort of game. We won the game. And at the end of it, everyone's mics open up. And people just go at each other, right? And I said to everyone on the other team, hey, guys, you need to practice more. And I'm howling on the other end because I've been so over the top. But I won. It's so easy to trash talk when you're winning. When it's 0-0 zero, zero and the game hasn't started yet, that is some serious cojones. I'm so excited for you to see my boy Reggie Miller in episode nine because he will start trash talking before the before it's zero zero. He's trash talking in the preseason. It's going to be great. I'm excited to see episode nine and uh, the epic clash between the Pacers and the Bulls because Reggie is just one of the all time greatest trash talkers. Reggie oh. Miller? Yeah, oh yeah, dude, never shut up. That's crazy to me because I just assume that if you shoot three points for a living that you're not a trash sergeant. I don't know why that is. It's a different NBA now. I understand that. But for me, the, the three-point shooters were not the – like 
who was the Ben? Was it Ben Wallace? Dude. He used to play on the Pistons. Yeah, ben with big hair. Yep. Like that guy could trash talk because you're a monster. Yeah. You could be in Space Jam, but Reggie Miller, I guess, I guess I'll <laughs> give it to you. Okay, so most of this episode focuses on Jordan being a pro athlete, if we'll call him that in baseball. Yeah, and his big his big comeback. Right. So we've we had him. He went he, he batted the two oh two the previous year and, and he's back there in spring training here in, in the the spring of ninety five, ready to go again in second year of pro baseball, getting you know better. He's he's built his body up to be more of a baseball body. He's put on some muscle and he's hoping to get these, as I said in episode seven, you know, another thousand or fifteen hundred at bats. And these major league guys see him making the major league baseball. Um, but of course, dun, 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 as any uh, Montreal Expo fan out there will know. <laughs> baseball baseball strike. strike. Yeah. So Michael Jordan, baseball strike. I love the fact that he is a consummate pro where people want him to cross the picket line. And he says, no, I'm not going to cross the picket line. Well, he doesn't need to, cause he's getting paid by, uh, is it Rosenthal, like the, the owner of the Bulls anyway? Uh, yeah. But the fact that I don't expect Jordan to cross the picket line anyway, this guy is by the book his entire career. He's going to outwork you. He's going to out-train you. He's going to out-athlete you. And in this case, oh, all my, all my teammates and competitors aren't playing? Cool. Well, I am aligned with them. And I wasn't surprised by that. And I was like, you know what, Jordan? Kudos to you for that. Kudos to you for sticking with the guys even though it cost them the entire year. But then there's Jordan, right? And you have to ask yourself, do we get Michael Jordan back in basketball? Do we have these last three championships in 96, 97, 98? If there is no baseball strike, if this doesn't happen, do do we lose Michael Jordan in this entire storyline? I would would guess so, right? Like once, if he has another, say he has another two years of baseball, he probably puts on another... 15 to 20 pounds of muscle. Maybe he's made to triple a who knows how he's doing. But the big thing is that he's being able to scratch that competitive itch that he always has. He's competing in baseball. He's fighting to, you know, not be a quote unquote joke as a lot of people were referring him to. And all of a sudden that opportunity in baseball gets taken away from him. And how long we've seen, we're seeing this guy flipping quarters in his dressing room before a game, how long can he go without, you know, let those competitive juices flowing and lo and behold, he, he calls up the aforementioned BJ Armstrong, who at in 95 is still on the bulls and they go for brunch. And then all of a sudden Michael Jordan's ending up at a bulls practice just to say hi. Well, this, yeah. And that, this is crazy to me. You have the quote from from the episode, the man is here. Michael Jordan is back, and everyone's going crazy at Bulls practice. Then Michael Jordan just wants to come in and practice with the team. If you are Phil Jackson, Ricky, you're a basketball coach. Do you want – because they're trying to compete for another championship. Phil Jackson's Bulls team is. Do you want Michael Jordan anywhere near your practice? He's a distraction. The media follows. The guys aren't focused. Do you just say, Mike, what are you doing here? Like, go hang out with the guys after practice. I don't need to make room for you at practice. Or 
do you owe it to a guy like Michael Jordan who has just won you three championships? It'd be interesting to see what was actually going through Phil Jackson's mind at this time, right? Does, does Jordan really show up kind of out of nowhere with BJ Armstrong and happen to have all his basketball stuff with him? Or is it, you know, hey, let's come, you know, come drop by and he's, you know, maybe he's wearing some Jordans because that's what everyone is wearing as their everyday shoe. And then he's able to play, you know, BJ says they're kind of playing some one-on-one and things get heated. And maybe he goes and talks to Phil after that and goes, hey, maybe I'm, maybe I should be seeing how things go and I'll keep coming back. And to me, to me, it seems like it's a, like a player personnel violation that you would just have random retired guys show up to practice and practice with you. Yeah, you feel like you'd oh. never have that nowadays in any sport where it's like, oh, Larry Bird's here to practice or Matt Sundin's at the Leafs yeah. practice or, you know, Derek Jeter's joining the Yankees to practice today. Like to actually practice or to be there for a PR stunt are two yeah, different things. And it, but it was really only like less than two weeks. I think it was about 10 days from that first time he showed up with Armstrong to he's like, he the infamous facts. The best, the best did press you release laugh? ever. Did you laugh when they said that he faxed out the press release? I thought, oh yeah, they would have had to do that before email. A facsimile sent across the globe. I'm back now. I've worked in marketing and advertising, Ricky, and everyone talks about brevity and the art of using less words to communicate. And I love the fact that this is just another place where Jordan gets it right. Right. They use the example of what they had written beforehand. He's like, no, nah, it's not right. I don't like how it works. Just say I'm back and boom, go for that. And to me, this is the perfect press release. It gets the point across. Everyone gets stoked and hype. And the world The world crosses its mind. And this is, again, I remember this just clear as day. Where you're like, well, you see the famous shot of Scottie Pippen sticking up the shoe and telling him to come back. And this is when he's already practicing with them. So the rumors are going crazy that Michael Jordan might be coming back. And again, I'm the kid who 18 months previous to that is just bawling my eyes out when I hear that he's retired. And so what's going through your mind when you well, hear everyone thinks this. he's going to come back and they're going to win another championship. <laughs> but like, do you cry happy tears? Oh, you get MJ back. It was just at this like, point? It was almost like you couldn't really believe it until you saw those first games and then he comes back and he's wearing a number 45 and it's just, it was, it was so surreal that you were, you weren't sure if it was real and, and he, but he looked like, he looked like himself. So it was, it was awesome to see and the talk of the schoolyard, that's for sure. Who in their right mind though, comes back in the middle to the last third of a professional season. Like Mike Jordan comes back, not at the beginning of the year in the near the end of the year, he comes back. And I'm like, this is crazy. Who would do that? I mean, I understand it's Mike Jordan. Okay. We're talking about one of the greatest athletes of all time. And I'm proud to say on my radio show, we're doing the goat of all go contest and uh, the greatest athletes amongst the greatest athletes of all time. It's a 64 person bracket. And after today, Michael Jordan has officially made the Ooh. final two. It's going to be him, and I Wayne. assume Wayne Gretzky will beat Michael Phelps tomorrow. And uh, yeah. that's good enough for me. So anyway, Michael Jordan comes back halfway halfway through two-thirds yeah. to the end of the season. This guy's out of shape, but it just feels like the chemistry of everything in that moment, in that season of the, of the last part of the it's regular season be will weird. be weird. 
not like he hasn't played basketball in 20 months, but he never really got any uh, spring training really either. I mean, he showed up and they were going to go with replacement players. And he, like you said, he decided not to cross the picket line. So he hasn't gone through any of his team spring training through baseball at all either. So he's only in as good a shape as he was keeping himself in you know preparation of spring training. So who knows exactly what his cardio is like and all of that, but uh, yeah, he shows up, Greg, and they were, you know, 34, I think they were 34 and 31. So barely over 500 when he came back, not terrible. They were, you know, in position for the playoffs, but nothing spectacular, uh, but they finished 47 and 35. So they went 12 and four with Michael Jordan. <laughs> Cause I wrote down here, that they who comes back to a terrible team like this and in your notes you wrote they weren't terrible they finished 47 35 12 and 4 with jordan that's crazy that one guy can have that kind of impact on a team yeah and so that just feeds more you know more fuel for the fire of yeah they're going to come back and he's going to win a championship why wouldn't he like they just went 12 and 4 with a rusty jordan they're you know finding the stride peaking at the right moment is all the cliches would like to say and they uh, kind of breeze through round one of the playoffs. But who knows what's going to happen. And, you know, just to see him back wearing 45 was so weird. And then we have the the very infamous, referred to as the double nickel game in Madison Square Garden, which um, you may or may not know, but like every NBA player has Madison Square Garden as their favorite place to play. Like that is the mecca it's the it's mecca, iconic arena, call it right? the mecca. just in general the mecca of basketball and which is funny because nobody actually wants to play there because they all hate the owner of the knicks but everyone loves playing in new york and loves playing in madison square garden and jordan shows up i think it was his fifth game back drops a double nickel 55 points right in spike mm-hmm. took him 21 months missed 21 months took him five games and then well he had to let points. spike lee know about it too speaking of guys who Trash talk, and now just you know, Spike Leo trash talk before the game starts. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, you bet he will. But, uh, oh man, Greg, just so awesome. And we you know again what a time for I would have been 12, like so into sports. And you see your favorite player come back, don't know how well he's going to play, and then all of a sudden he's dropping 55 points, which I believe was the like the season high that year too for points by a player like he's just oh it's so crazy it doesn't make any sense but the fact that he's michael jordan you go this is why you're michael jordan there's two there's two things i want to bring up in this segment before we get into the playoffs of 95 one the fact that jordan came on the court wearing 45 oh and had gosh. backward shorts on like to me that is just the perfect symbol for him bringing this different number I'm like <laughs> you shouldn't be doing this like why are you wearing 45 and i had no idea that this was a thing but wouldn't you love to have a 45 autograph michael oh. jordan game worn jersey like how rare, rare i know those things? you know it's pretty it was pretty common for guys to be rocking the 45 jersey the late 90s early 2000s trying to seem ec- extra cool but uh, the 23 jordan is still so iconic but yeah for i don't know how many games you would have played we'll get into we'll get into when he switches but it would have been like 20 20 games Less than 25 games, he would have worn 45. Give me the game warm autograph jersey, please. The second thing is this. You're watching this show. 
I want to encourage you, and this is going to be weird and polarizing for a lot of our listeners. And I know that we have listeners officially all around the world, but I want to encourage you watch this show with subtitles. And here's why there's a lot of music in these episodes, a lot of old nineties music. And if you're the director, producer, editor of this documentary, the music is a storytelling element. It's, it's a part of what's going on. So if you don't pick up on the actual words in the songs you're listening to, you might be like me. Oh, this is cool 90s rap. I love it. it the theme fits so well. But every single word is specifically chosen for that segment of video, and it speaks to it. So in, in this, when Jordan comes back here and leading up to playoffs, there's a segment where they're talking about the king has returned. He's got bringing back his crown. And it just – it's poetry, Ricky, and I want people to pick up every nuance of the storytelling. I love it, Greg. It's so good, and it, and it seems like they probably not only did the words match, but the the song they're playing has to be right in that time zone, like time frame as well. Like they're not they're not using you know late late '90s rap when they're doing the '80s highlights because the words match what's happening. It's we got to find a hip hop song from. 1988-ish to play here or here here he's coming back in 95 all right what songs are popular there that would fit into this moment and the directors just knock it out of the park it's so fun to see i i i can't get enough of it and so let me know you can message us on twitter at sir greg Moore at big regina rick and we will get back to you on this we love it but it's time for the tune in that is did you pull out any of this one ricky because i feel like this one was full of mistakes <laughs> and we're actually not the only one i don't know if i sent you the the article i saw an article about oh, yeah. suits online i thought ricky the, the people are, we're not alone in people uh pointing out the fact that there are just so many yeah, egregious who's going to be the first guy to try and bring back <clears throat> the jordan suit it's not even how long it is too it's like how how like tightly cut it is at the neck like it looks like he's wearing a trench coat as a suit jacket like it barely any comes it cuts like right under his chin and he's got 19 buttons going down and it comes down to his knees but you really see he's finally he he's he's kind of found the cut of suit he likes in 98 and then there's the same suit over and over and over and over again just different materials but uh i mean we had we had the uh, the Brooks track suits, as we've mentioned, which were, I mean, if you can oh, pull yeah. it off, you can pull it off. If you can't pull it off, then ooh, it is a train wreck. Yeah, Brooks, wait, wait, so that, that is at 13 minutes and 30 seconds around there for people that are still watching this episode. And I've already told my story about my Brooks track suit as well. 13 oh. minutes in, Zubaz pants on Mike. Did you have a no, pair? No, I never had my own pair. Ricky? I did think I I had a homemade pair for my aunt. But uh the, what do you mean home? Like, did she sew the They were just the, yeah, like crazy crazy it? pattern sweatpants. So they're not Zubaz, but Zubaz adjacent. <laughs> okay, I'll give it to you. Cuz I I went to a, a oh, game in oh. Buffalo, Buffalo, New York to watch the Bills play. And I was looking out for the Zubaz pants. And sure enough, I found not copious amounts, but a lot of different people wearing Zubaz, Buffalo Bills, blue, red, and gray sweatpants. And I thought, this is this is time to bring the Zubaz pants back. Just a little bit 
make them more like joggers. If they brought them back as joggers, like tighter fitting, better looking pants, I might buy a pair of New England Patriots. I might buy a pair Zubass of uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers Zubass pants. <laughs> are you on the Are you on the Bucks train? I don't know. I, I'm certainly train? on that train more than I was before, but they've always been a fun team, and uh, I love their coach. So it'll be be fun. But I uh, I did find myself caring about the Patriots draft much more than I thought I would after Brady left, especially with Gronk going back to uh, team up with Brady down in Tampa Bay. But uh, I still think I'm, I'm pretty excited for the, uh, the Jared Stidham era to, to see what he can do. I love that style of quarterback. We will see. Time will tell. Okay. Two more fashion footballs. Mike, I'm going to call it the SpongeBob suit. Seven minutes into it, he looks like he's, yes. well, a yellow sponge. I think you described it quite well, Ricky. And the last one I have is 11 minutes in. Jordan is wearing these oh. pleated pants. They're really nice pants, I think. But the pleats on them are so long and over the top, I just had to smash them on that one and go, Jordan, you are getting a ticket for a fashion football on that because, man, I don't know. Just somebody help it. He's a billionaire. Somebody get this guy some fashion advice so we can watch and the hit, show so I, and enjoy it. It was better. him and Scotty Pippen was dressing at the same time. The same thing, like pants. I mean, they're tall guys, but these pants go up basically to their nipples. And and then they're yes. super, super wide. They look like they'd fit their uh, their boss, Jerry Krause. Until they get to the waist, and then they just kind of take all that material and slide it into their little, you know, 32-inch waist. And it's just like, that does not look good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand when. But, uh, hey, they. <laughs> no, it, it didn't look good then. It doesn't look good now. Okay, let's dive into the 95 playoffs. So you've, you've let us know that Jordan led this team back. They finished 47-35, get through the first round like a breeze, and on to Horace Grant and the Orlando Magic and the young Penny Hardaway. Shaquille O'Neal. Again, one of well, the, I love, I love Penny Hardaway. With actually. the Charlotte Hornets, like, like one of the coolest teams in the 90s, right? You had Big Shaq. This is when he's destroying backboards. They re-engineered and recreated – NBA backboards specifically because Shaq was tearing basketball baskets down. Yeah. They Get had to lost. re-engineer the whole, all the baskets so that you could. <laughs> oh man. What he, a legacy. He, he was breaking baskets. It seemed like once a month he was ripping down baskets. It was amazing. And then he had, awesome. yeah, Penny Hardaway, who was an amazing, amazing young player who just, had some injury problems and kind of faded away, but he was such a bright star. And then you have uh, Nick Anderson and then you have Horace Grant coming over. And uh, Greg, it was just a great, great team, but no one really seemed to give him a chance, even though they were, uh, they were the number two seed and you're playing the bulls, but the bulls have Michael Jordan. They just came back. They went, like we said, 12 and four. They, I think they won the first series three to one. And now here you are against Orlando Magic, and yeah, they're looking good. But here comes here comes Chicago and Michael. And sorry, guys, not your time yet. I oh, do you remember any of this? Because so the story goes: the Bulls play Orlando, Orlando plays them tough, and 
Eventually, the Orlando Magic beat the mighty, almighty Chicago Bulls. And the way the documentary sets it up is that Jordan rushing back from a lockout was out of shape. Didn't have his legs, didn't have the endurance, didn't have any of that. So he just ran out of the gas and couldn't compete at the highest level of intensity that you would find in the NBA. And I think I buy it, Ricky. I do. When I when I hear about the stories about playoff sports and how intense they are and the endurance that you need, especially in a game with so much running like basketball, and, and if you're on the court for the entire game, that has to weigh on you. And you could see Michael Jordan doing his best to compete yeah, without and, the body to do it. So he's coming back. He hasn't played a lot. They're slamming these games in. You get into the playoffs. You're playing more than the regular season. And then – you don't have Horace Grant on your team anymore. You don't have that rebounding presence, that power forward. You kind of set in the tone and you replace them with like Luke Longley. And it's just not the same thing. And then you have this really good, hungry Orlando magic team. And the thing that I remember most is I can't remember if it's, I think it's game one and the bulls are down and Jordan's bringing the ball up, kind of gets by Nick Anderson. Another guy comes up. And he loses track where Nick Anderson is and Nick Anderson steals the ball from him. And you just couldn't comprehend. It's like Mm -hmm. Superman dying. You just like all of a sudden there's some kryptonite there and this, he's not superhuman anymore. And you just watch Jordan go that, how does, how did that happen? That's not supposed to happen. He's supposed to come back and win a championship. And that just doesn't, again, you don't see it that often. And, we're not expecting it at all. And that just kind of set the tone for the series where this is a younger, faster, more athletic team. And it just kind of ran the old bulls off the floor at that point. And during this series is the infamous Ooh. 45. Is yes. 23. Is so that was after that's so after Nick stole the ball from him. That's what he said. You know, 45 ain't 23. Meaning of course that, Michael Jordan coming back wearing 45. It's not the same as Michael Jordan before he retired. And uh, lo and behold, our boy, Michael Jordan takes exception to this. (laughs) So yeah, he comes back, he comes back out wearing 23 and he gets fined for it. And there's some quote about people saying there's like one of the, uh, League disciplinarian guys is like, well, we can't have people just wearing whatever number they feel like that day or something like that. It's like, well, come on. It's Michael Jordan wearing the most iconic. I mean, it'd be, you said you have him and uh, him and Wayne Gretzky up against each other in the final of your poll. Those have to be the two most iconic numbers in sports. Up with, uh, well, or 42 Jackie it's Robinson. Gotta be. I guess those would be the three I would put up there. But, uh, so he comes back as 23, and he, he did have, you know, a couple good games, but they lost the series 4-2, to two and they didn't even go to seven games. And But I do want to bring this up. I heard and I saw, actually, that this series had a very controversial call in one game that spun the series of Magic's way, where there was a three-point shot near the end of the game. The Bulls are winning, and the three-point shot gets fouled by, I think, Scotty Pippen fouls him. And it was a brutal call, never should have happened, and it actually ended up with Orlando winning, and of course, that tilted the series in their direction. And people were saying, 
that the documentary kind of brushed over it and didn't want to make a controversy of it. But if you go back and watch the highlight of that, you go, wait a minute, this series could have been completely different than it was. And you go, well, what if, what if Jordan had seven? And of course that's Hines. all right. And, and we can go the other way, right? Lost. Every, every series we've gone through, the other team has said, well, if this would have gone our way, then things would have been different. And as I like to say, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> you text me that so day. <laughs> you know it's hard to say but i mean oh, you know, even if funny. that call was the worst call of all time you know no no pass interference against the saints uh type bad call it still is you know one possession in a 80 to 90 possession game so it shouldn't flip things too too much but they were the better like they were just the better team and you you look at the the bulls team like we said, they're just over 500 fighting for a playoff spot before Jordan came back. And even though he is the best player of all time, you can't drag, you know, garbage to the, the top of the mountain. So it's, I was happy for, I was really happy. <laughs> I just love that analogy. You can't drag you know, garbage and to they, the top of the they mountain. They were, they were, a, you know, a young kind of rebuilding team. They actually, came really close to trading Scottie Pippen this year for um, guys we're going to meet coming up. Um, Sean Kemp and a couple of the uh, Seattle Supersonics. And the Bulls were all on board no to way. do it. And it was Seattle who, who decided at the end to say no. I had no idea. Okay, so that series is over. Boom, they're done. It's summertime. This summer of 95, I didn't know this, but this is the year... One of the best cartoons. You can just you can just say movie ever has been film made. film. It was a film. Yeah, movie. I guess. Oh yeah. I'm gonna call it iconic because I remember it took over the world in '95. We're talking about the best space jam. The best. Ricky. And as a basketball player that time, yeah, you couldn't escape the Space Jam music everywhere you went. Oh, I, when you say Space Jam, all I hear in my head is. Everybody get yep. up. It's time to slam now. Like, you know, like that. Yeah. I remember even Seal is on that somewhere in that soundtrack singing to the moon. And like, I just oh, know yeah. the whole it's thing. It's just off the best. Heart. And then uh, there's the rap song too. Oh, I can't remember it right now, but, but with Buster Rhymes and oh man, coming to my area. I'm going to have to bury you. Oh, it's the best, the best. And then the movie was awesome. It's got Bill Murray in it which you can't go wrong with Bill Murray and Newman from Seinfeld. And uh love Bill Murray. There's a second one coming out. And there's a second one coming out, obviously, with LeBron James, who also wears 23. So I'm curious to see the comparisons between those two because, well, I don't know if you know this, Ricky, but LeBron James gets compared it, to Michael uh, Jordan. It has been mentioned and life, debated so. once or twice around a campfire with a handful of whiskey. The thing that blew me away with this, though, was the Jordan Dome. The fact that Jordan wanted to get in shape while he's filming Space Jam. So his deal with Warner Brothers was, okay, well, you have to build me a court. And they do. They build this makeshift. It, it's a temporary a temporary yep. housing place, but it looks beautiful on the inside. It's a full-size NBA court, which I'm sure change rooms and showers. And they do it for Jordan to allow him to film the movie and then come work out and work on his game and get in shape afterwards. The things that people go well, through. You for start hearing about insane. his routine where he was filming for basically 
12 hours a day on set for 12 hours a day. And then he would come play basketball for two or three hours. And to just do that over and over and over again for, if you had to do that for a week, you'd be exhausted. And he was doing that for, you know, a month or so as he's filming this movie. And you see some of the, you know, most of the, his filming, you're doing green screen stuff. Cause obviously he's not a cartoon, but uh, just how much stress and anxiety and work that would take to, to do that. And then to blow after they try and blow it all off at the end of the day, inviting the NBA players of the world to come play basketball in LA. Now we should say space jam made over $230 million us. And so this was a small penny to pay for Jordan to do this, but I love the angle, Ricky, that Jordan's inviting the best players to come hang out on his cool court. And I can understand every one of these players would want to be in Hollywood. I'm going to go to Warner Brothers Studios and I'm going to see what's going on there. There's going to be movie stars. It's going to be action-packed. It's Michael Jordan's dome. Why wouldn't you want the golden ticket to go play there? Because I can't see a player in the offseason going nuts or turning that down and saying, you know what? Now I'm going to pass on this because in some ways, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You think about some of the players are showing. There's, There's older guys. There's younger guys. There's guys that are in college. And I don't, I mean, I couldn't say for sure that this started this whole trend and I haven't read anything that says it, but this is a continued, continued uh, tradition that happens to this day now is NBA players flock to LA in the summer and there are legendary pickup games at local high schools of NBA players. And there's rules about like, you know, no filming, not like, you like you like get a text. It's like, hey, we're playing Come at this on. high school at this time, and people go and play, and it's like full pickup games with all NBA guys. It's amazing, and it's in kind of a secret, a secret society of of sorts. But uh, yeah, so I think kind of that idea kind of started with this uh, with this Jordan Dome and him needing the best competition to kind of play himself back into shape. And you see Reggie Miller's there and Juwan Howard's there. Uh, you know, really, really good NBA players that are just looking to stay in shape and have fun. And, I mean, if at that point, everyone loves to just pick up game of basketball. So you don't have to be an NBA player to to want to get a to get a run in. But, uh, yeah, L.A. has become the, the hot spot for summer basketball, summer, well, NBA players to hang out in the summer. Oh, man. I want a ticket to one of those games. It's one of my. It's going to my bucket list. Your vision, my dream board. Your vision ticket board. to a secret pickup game. Yeah, but in the most Jordan fashion ever, Jordan admits to inviting all these players down to play basketball, street ball, three on three, whatever you want to call it, and he studies them. He studies their habits. He's picking up on their tendencies, and he's not going to let an opportunity pass where these guys come into his Jordan Dome and he doesn't let them leave without him having learned something substantial about the way they play so that he can use it against Absolutely. them. Absolutely, and that's just in that's just ingrained in Jordan that, all right, the more I get to play against these guys, the more I'm going to get to learn their tendencies and, and take that into next season, right? Like in the NBA, you only play – like East Eastern Division only plays the Western Division twice a year. So you might not really get a feel for some of these guys. But uh, you play a pickup game with them every day for a couple of weeks. You're gonna 
you got to know what they like to do, what they don't like to do, who's trash talking, who who isn't, who uh, who's trash talking when it's zero zero. But uh, it's just so much fun, Greg, to uh, to just imagine what some of those games were like. And I know they've I, I've saw some people talking about they'd love to see more footage of that, and there really wasn't any footage taken. Kind of everything in that everything we see in this documentary is pretty much everything they filmed. So for those weeks, it just you, be amazing to see the whole thing yeah all we have are the stories so this transitions into the iconic 96 season and we should say that this 95 bulls team jordan came back and talked about the players in the team that were full of themselves they had won three championships they thought it was easy they thought they knew what they were doing and there was a reality check when jordan came back of wait a minute oh we're not as good as we thought we were and he hates that he says the fact that you were on a team that won three championships, it would go to your head for sure. And I don't blame those guys that were, I'm going to call them role players for thinking, you know what, this is easy, right? We won. I, I know how to well, do that's this. It, great. Who cares? That's right. Because great. I think but that I have, would go to my head too. You know, someone who's talking about being a role player and, well, I know I can do my role well because I'm only going to play 10 minutes a game because I have Michael Jordan playing 40 minutes a game and he's going to do almost everything. And as long as I do my you know, a little one to 2% contribution, I'm going to be okay. But when you lose that guy who's doing 90, that is your opportunity to step up and become, you know, take on that role. And you look at Scotty, he, Scotty Pippen did a great job of it in 94 and into 95. Um, but they lose Horace Grant and they're, some of the younger guys aren't stepping up into those roles and are just assuming that, a guy like Scotty will carry him. And then when Jordan comes back, same thing. All right, well, we got Pippen, we got Jordan. All right, they kind of cruise control to the next title. But uh, he had to set the tone going into that 96 season. And that's where they get Dennis Rodman and and uh, these other players that uh, help them build towards this next uh, run of championships they go through. So the 96 Bulls go 72 and 10. <laughs> and there was a quote by Scotty Pippen during this that made me laugh where he's looking at the schedule and he says, yeah. I don't think we're going to lose for three months. And I thought, can you imagine that mindset of like, well, we've got this team, this team, this team. There's one team that could push us. And of course, Ricky, one of those teams Toronto Raptors. was your Toronto them, I remember Raptors. That game because they had played them tough earlier in the year. And Jordan kind of went off in the fourth quarter and pulled it out and, they won, and it's just, oh, great to see. Blah, blah, blah. And then they played him again in the spacious Sky Dome, <laughs> playing basketball in the Sky Dome, and they beat the Bulls, the expansion team, with Damon Stoudemire, and that was basically it. <laughs> so let me drop some. Let me drop some of my job. Oh, I just chatted with Damon, Damon Stoudemire. Uh, last week, last week, because it's his anniversary of him getting drafted, I think first over, not first overall, but seventh overall. He was the first ever drafted coming up here. So we chatted with him about this. We brought it up. Damon, you beat the 96 Raptors, or Raptors, the Bulls. Right. What was that like? And he just said that was their championship. Like that was their, they didn't make the playoffs that year because they were terrible. But he said he loved the fact that they could go out there and grind it out and everyone was there to watch. And it was a blast. And we asked him, did you celebrate after that game? And he's like, did we ever? Like, they went out and partied so hard because, of course, if you beat 
an iconic team that's 72 and 10, you're going to make it count. But fantastic guy, humble, down to earth. Some funny stories about Toronto, I'll tell you one quick, where he's obviously not from Toronto, so he gets drafted there, doesn't really know anything about Toronto, doesn't really realize it's another country for the most part. And he gets pulled over once for speeding because he looks at the speed limit and says 70. <laughs> cool. He goes 70 miles per hour, and this cop pulls him over, and he's like, why are you going so fast? He's like, well, it says 70. I was going 70. He's like, no, that's kilometers, <laughs> not miles. You're in Canada. He's like, oh, right. So we asked him if he got a ticket. You got he got a said, warning. No, he got a fine. Oh, oh not man. a fine. Uh, he, got, he got a warning because he was new in town. But anyway, great guy. 96 Bulls. Better than uh, the 2015 no, no. question mark? There, this is an expansion year, and the league is not that deep at this time. They're not that great. And you have two of the top eight players in the league on the same team. Plus, you have Rodman. So they were a great team. They definitely deserve to go 72 and 10 that year, but there were some just terrible teams. Watered down league. The uh I would I would definitely say the Warriors going 73 and 9 was more impressive. Um I would also say there's argument, you know, that the 97 Bulls team was actually better. Um better. They were better in the playoffs. They won 69 games still. Go on. So like, so crazy that they, you know, you don't so even crazy. hear people talking about a team that wins 69 games. But, uh, you know, just better team overall, I think. But, all right. Okay, impossible question. 96 Bulls head-to-head against the 2015 Ooh. Warriors. I would, Who wins? That's tough. I would I would say the Warriors, just because I'm a big fan of – I'm a big fan of the three-point – evolution that's happened in the nba and even even some of these old highlights you see where the bulls are whipping the route the ball around and you have you know steve kerr hitting a three or pippen hitting a three it just eerily reminds me of how basketball is played now so maybe the bulls could have figured it out but then you have guys like luke longley and bill wennington who just would not be playing in today's nba and you have someone you would have you know clay thompson up against uh You'd probably have him on on Jordan, and then you have Draymond Green can guard Jordan, and you have uh, oh, I don't know that. <laughs> well, Draymond Green, according to him, well, is the greatest basketball player of all time. Life. So, and he's never kicked anyone in the balls. <laughs> oh my goodness! So this discussion brings up one of the, or this season, I guess, the 96 season, brings up the one of the Achilles heels to this yeah. documentary, which is no fault of its own, but it's just not long enough. Because they get into the 96 season, they give you a quote that, hey, we're not going to lose for three months, and the next thing you know, they're 72 and 10, and the playoffs are starting. I just want 10 episodes on this season alone, and we'll never get it. And I know I'm just screaming into the wind about this, but... Yeah, it's one I of want the like, know, three most that iconic I want. I want more. teams of the history of the NBA. Like three most iconic seasons of the NBA. You'd think they would spend a little more time on it, but we have to get to the final. So we got to fast forward through everything, basically. And they're like, and the Bulls are in the finals again. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, there's one, there's one pause in it. So the Bulls lose one game in three rounds, which to me blew my mind. Until you said, uh, just so you know, the, the 2001 Lakers lost one game the entire playoffs, yeah. which is <laughs> boring. <laughs> it's like, that's boring to me. 
Like there's just no competition for these teams, but whatever. But it made me laugh because, of course, the Bulls go through the magic. And Jordan brings up 45-8-23 a year later. Like you slight this guy and you were giving him. You were giving him credit and potential. Go, okay, cool. I'm going to slight you. He goes, thank you. I will use this against yeah. you well, at they, some there's point an interview in the with his, Just uh, wait and watch. With his strength coach about how he loses that. They lose the series to to uh, the Magic in 95. And he goes, okay, well, like, let me know when you want to you know, get lifting again. He's like, okay, well, I'll see you tomorrow morning. Right? Just ready to go. And uh, so yes. you could see, you know, he was he was looking at getting back at the Magic as soon as he possibly could. So the Bulls, 96 Bulls, go to the playoffs. And against, of course, my NBA jam, Supersonics. You got Sean Kemp, Gary Payton. The story opens up here, though, with Michael Jordan out for dinner. And the Supersonics coach, again, plays into Jordan's hand. And for whatever well, it's funny. Reason, so it's George Carl, legendary him. NBA coach. They're out for supper. And, and George Carl, they clearly kind of know each other's there. And George Carl doesn't come over and say hi to Jordan or wish him good luck in the series or anything like that. Now, who knows? Maybe, maybe George is thinking, hey, Jordan, you know, Michael Jordan's out for supper. I'm going to let him have, you know, his, uh, his personal space. I don't need to go over there and bug him. I, you know, I'm just here for a quick meal and get back to my hotel room. And, you know, you can't, you can't send texts or anything back then. So, you know, maybe... These days, he would have you know, walked out, sent him a quick text. Hey, Mike, you know, good luck. But this was – I'm just no. trying to maybe make an argument here. <laughs> no, I do not buy that. If you see someone in public like that, you go and say hi. You know they see you. And if you walk right past them and don't look them in the eye, that is a snub, Ricky. It's not like, oh, I didn't see you. It's Michael Jordan. How can you not see him? The entire restaurant is looking at him eat his – well, I say like <laughs> seared ahi tuna or whatever he's into that night. It's a snub, and it's it's ridiculous that a coach at that level would do that. I understand being motivated against your competition, but turn it off and turn it on and show the people. You're yeah, and it respect. didn't happen. So please, Jordan again finds a reason to be upset, and lo and behold, the Bulls coast to uh, a three nothing series lead, and then we get. Gary Payton, the glove, coming in for his interviews. Because he's, he's on you so tight. He, why do they call like him the glove? glove. His defensive prowess. Oh, he's defensive prowess. Okay, so this whole documentary ends with this thing about Gary Payton not starting on Jordan. And people are confused. Why isn't Payton starting on Jordan? Because, of course, Jordan's the best player. And Payton's known for his defense and you would think that you would just try and neutralize Jordan by putting paint on him but you're saying Ricky here that guarding Jordan is exhausting and the, the yeah, so that's, Supersonics that you would know this, needed Peyton's you know, offense alright if we, we leave uh, Gary off him like Gary guard someone a little bit easier um, then you can you know, use Gary to come double team Jordan and do different things on rotations and whatnot. but you know then, then he's going to have more energy to score some points for us because we're going to need these points uh you have sean camp was probably their main their leading scorer that year but he's got a tough match up against rodman uh you have a guy like detlef shrimp he's going to match up against tony kukoc like you're just going to have 
matchup problems, but where you might have an edge is, is Gary Payton on uh, the Bulls point guard. So maybe a little bit, but uh, obviously being down three, nothing, it wasn't really what was working. And Gary kind of demands that he guard Jordan and they finally say, okay, yeah, you guard Jordan. We'll see kind of how this goes. And of course, Gary Payton plays it up that he, you know, if they would have, if he would have guarded Jordan the entire series, things would have gone differently. And again, some of these ifs and buts and candies and nuts, you never really know what's going to happen. But uh, Supersonics are able to win two games. And, you know, in the back of your mind, maybe people are starting to think, okay, you know, these same with the 2015 Warriors. All right. These guys won a record game. 72 games did they spend too much energy get you know going for the record did they you know blow their did they go too hard in those first three games and now this is the old tired bulls against this young up-and-coming energetic supersonics is there any way that they could come back from a three nothing lead and no the answer is always no no the answer is always no when a team goes up 3-0 in sports it is, it is borderline miraculous. And I'm thinking about the 2004 Red Sox coming back against the Yankees down 3-0. At that point, Ricky, it had never happened in baseball. Over 100 years of sports, it had never happened. That's how rare it is. And I'm a huge fan of the tension and the emotional roller coaster and the momentum swings in sports. But you see it all the time. A team goes up 3-0, and they take their foot off the gas. It just happens. Okay, cool. We're going to win the series now whether it's today, tomorrow, the next game, or God forbid, game seven, we're going to do that. So right. I'm not going to play as hard next game. And then the other team is desperate, right? In this case, the, the Super Thunks are coming out, and they're going wall blasters, and they win two games. If you're, if you're the Bulls, you don't care. You go, cool, this is the game here. You never want to go to a game seven because that's, there's too much risk. But when you walk into game six, You've had two games of, I'll call it rest, of a team running rickshaw on you, playing out of their mind. The chances of that happening then again are so yeah, and, rare. And you kind of go back that to that talk from, like, yeah, we had before doesn't. about some of the role players, you know, maybe coasting because you do have a Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan on your team. So you can see that happening up 3 nothing. All right, well, I don't really need to try too hard this game because – if you know if they're playing hard, Michael's going to do something to bail us all out at the end, which he has done time and time before. Um, but instead, they you know they pull together, mm-hmm. they win Game Six, which is the very emotional end to this episode, where it turns out Game Six is on Father's Day. As the first playoff series, oh. playoff run that Jordan has had without his dad around, his first championship, obviously that. He's winning without having his dad right by his side. Like his dad is the guy who's right with him every time he's won these championships. And, you know, you can see the emotion getting to him a little bit throughout the celebration. And then they just, you just see him on the floor sobbing uncontrollably. And I I mean, I've, I've seen that shot before. I always thought it was more, you know, a relief that he won again. And, but I didn't, I didn't always, remember putting together that it was father's day and the first one without his dad. And just that emotion that just that release you see coming from this guy who, I mean, they've said it before Greg in, in the, uh, the first three championships that you see this emotion come out from him when they finally win, because that's all, that's all that's 
he's really important. It's all really mm-hmm. important to him. All he's, the only thing he's thinking about is getting to that, you know, that final buzzer with a fourth win in the championship. And then he can just let it all go. And he seems like it's a big emotional release for him every time he's won one. It, it spoke to me. Like, I, I, as a son who my father's still around, I just, the connection you have with, with your dad, if you've got a healthy relationship with your father, it's just like special, right? And so to see him have that and be taken away from him and then to be back in that moment again, it just kind of rips your heart out and you break a little bit for Jordan as he's crying over this trophy. And it, it just, it couldn't have been absolutely more powerful, I don't think. And just to see him on the floor weeping with the elation of having won this trophy and the mourning of not sharing it with his dad. And, like and the, the and ultimate to lose his dad in such a tragic way as well, right? Like it's got to bring up so many, so many extra emotions yes. than just losing your dad to, you know, old age, sickness, you know, but to have him murdered like that, it's just got to be extra, extra pain. And uh, it's just crazy to see him so distraught and just, you know, no, no control over his emotions at that time. But uh, again, nice to see in this documentary where they are kind of going a little bit behind the scenes and showing us the Michael Jordan that we never really got to see. Love it. And it's, it's why we're watching. Ultimately. I do want to ask you one last question, Ricky. The, so Gary Payton says, this is the meme going around that, you know, had he guarded Jordan earlier, his actual quote was, the outcome might not have been different, but he would have liked to see it happen. <laughs> and Jordan laughs. Jordan laughs at this iPad where he's watching the thing and says, no, it, it wouldn't have been. Peyton didn't get to me. The glove never got to me. Even though when the glove was on him, they lost two games in a row. So my question to you no. is, did the glove get to him? <laughs> it's, there's, you know, he might have, I think he had one bad game of those two losses. The other game was okay. Both right. both losses, so he was under his seat in that. It's average. going to happen, but uh, you know, two games, and then they won the third game. So it's, yeah, I don't know. I'm not Gary Payton is definitely one of the best defensive players in the history of the NBA. Like you cannot take that away from him. But Michael Jordan finds a way. You know, there's been many great defensive players that have gone up against Jordan, and he's usually gotten the best of them time and time again. So. No, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. All right, I'll give it to you. I, I'm I'm seeing that there's some truth in there somewhere, but you know basketball better than I do, so I will give this one to you. So next Reggie, episode, Reggie, episode nine, our Reggie, second last Reggie. episode of the podcast is going to be. Oh man, I'm assuming an emotional one for you because it's your favorite player and your favorite matchup, and it's Reggie and the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Final in 1998. I have no idea what to expect. I heard Steve Kerr might play a role in this one. I cannot wait. But, Ricky, before we leave, I want to give the last word to so you. So, episode eight. About just, episode eight. Again, so awesome to see how they're – I'm hearing a lot of people complain about the way they're trying to run these multiple timelines going. Uh, I love it because, like, I'm being able to kind of keep up with how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I just love seeing all these old footage of everybody, all these players that I grew up with. And so much fun to see the people talk like like Peyton and we'll see it in some of these other episodes where these players are like, ah, you know, Jordan was great, but 
if only this went our way, we would have been better. So I love see I love this one because it does go through the series that he did lose, right? He lost game against the uh the Orlando Magic, and that still seems shocking. And it is kind of glossed over, especially when people talk about, you know, when you get into the Jordan versus LeBron debate. All right, well, Jordan went six and zero in his finals, and LeBron's, you know, three and six in his finals. It's like, yeah, but LeBron also made it to nine finals. You can't lose the final if you're not there. And Jordan lost, you know, Game Seven of an Eastern Conference Final to the Pistons. He lost to uh, the Magic in the semifinals. So there's seasons where maybe. You know, if he could have found a way to get to the final, he would have lost then. So it's it's just fun to get more fuel for your debates. Oh, two left. I might not even watch them. That way I always have them. Potentially, <laughs> it's just more important to me than the actual scene episode. But no, that won't happen. Two days, we'll have another one up. Ricky, I can't thank you enough for doing this, this with me. Uh, when we go back and look at this podcast in 10 years' time, we'll be pumped because we did a deep dive and spent a few extra hours getting the most out of it, and our kids will look back and go, man, dads, you guys were <laughs> they super heard, My kids nerds. already know I'm a nerd, but uh, you're, I think your daughter's young enough where she still thinks you're cool. Oh, yes, yes. She's three and a half. She thinks <laughs> I'm beautiful, like she called me. My, so. daughter's, my daughter's 12. She doesn't like me. Kim it. <laughs> Oh, man. It's only going to get better, too. All right. right. Have a good night, Greg. Okay, till next time.